So Money episode 45, Chris Ducker. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Hey, welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks for joining me. Today, we have an international superstar. That's right. Today's guest is Chris Ducker. He is the founder and CEO of Virtual Staff Finder. He is well-known as a virtual CEO. Chris is also a frequent keynote speaker. We were both, in fact, keynotes at FinCon 15 in New Orleans last year, where we had the opportunity to meet. Chris is British and lives in the Philippines with his family, and he's written a fantastic, fantastic book. You must pick it up. It's inspired me to be more efficient with my business. It's called Virtual Freedom, How to Work with Virtual Staff to Buy More Time, Become More Productive, and Build Your Dream Business. The book, no surprise, is an Amazon bestseller. Now, three really rich takeaways from our interview and our time with Chris. One, When you know you're ready to outsource some of your work and when it's worth your time and your money. How Chris plans to retire early. And by early, we're talking 50 years old, which is uh, about 15, 20 years before everybody else gets to retire. And one of the most important habits Chris recommends all entrepreneurs practice. This is something that he has perfected, that he is very diligent about and consistent with. And uh, I agree, it's, it's very important. Here we go. Here's Chris Ducker. Chris Ducker, welcome to So Money, my friend. So wonderful to have you on the show. Finally. It's great. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm so pumped to be here. I'm, I'm so excited for you that the show's doing so well. So it's an all my pleasure and honor. I'm a little giddy because I first met you several months ago. We both uh, were keynote speakers at FinCon 15 in, in New Orleans. What better place than New Orleans? And, so good. Yeah. And... Uh, you, Chris Ducker, being Chris Ducker, I mean, you have mastered uh, business with a capital B online, brick and mortar, and uh, you were very kind. You kind of took me aside and you were like, you know, let's talk because, for, frankly, you know, for a lot of people, people know me as Farnoosh. I'm, I'm out there. I'm, I work with various brands. I'm on television. I, I do lots of cool projects. I have books. But all the while I've been brainstorming and brainstorming, like what can I do that is direct to my audience that I can have complete creative license over that mm-hmm. will allow me to connect with them in a really intimate way consistently. And you know, I've gone through the list. Do I want to blog? Not really. Do I want to do video? Well, I sort of am doing video, but to do it on my own with the quality that I want to do it, it's really expensive. So I think I turned to you, Chris, and I was like, I got to figure out this internet thing. And I just don't know where to start. And you kind of looked at me like, girl, you got a lot of work to do. I think you were, (laughs) those weren't your words exactly, but you were like, we'll talk. And, um, you were very encouraging. And so, uh, after the conference, I came back and I, and I thought, boom, podcast, you know, and, and at the conference, there were some podcasters there and I was able to pick their brain and you yourself, very successful podcaster. So I, I look to you as a real role model in this space. So I guess what I'm trying to say is thank you. 
<laughs> well, it's it's all my pleasure. It's absolutely my pleasure. I just I remember that conversation. I, I and I remember thinking it was quite ironic because you are this brand in your in yourself, right? With everything that you do online and uh, rather on TV and everything. I was thinking, is she struggling really with <laughs> this? Like this this one very simple. Um, you know, this one very simple decision in terms of what avenue do I pursue? Mm -hmm. Um, But you know what, on the hindsight and and looking for, because, you know, I do a certain amount of business coaching with coaching clients and things like that. This struggle is is not just, you know, for Nusha's struggle. Like this is a real struggle for entrepreneurs that might be in that brick and mortar camp that want to start utilizing the internet properly, or maybe you're from a media background or a publishing background, but not a new media or new publishing background. And so it's a struggle. And people, you know, I I think what it is, is that they don't want to screw up, particularly if they've got a good brand in place like you do, which is very cemented, it's very fermented, and everybody knows who you are and what you stand for and what you're all about already ready. If you were to come out of the gate, like you say, with a video show and the quality wasn't that great, that wouldn't be good for your brand. But I think that you have picked the right avenue with podcasting. I think podcasting is it's larger than life currently. It's becoming more and more uh, important for uh, thought leaders and for you know leadership experts in general, regardless of what niche they're in, I think it's becoming more and more important for them to jump on that podcasting bandwagon. And when you've got companies like Apple, for example, putting the podcasting app natively, meaning it cannot be deleted on their devices such as the iPhone and the iPad, you know that you're onto something with a podcasting channel. So um, congratulations on not screwing up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And I, I think just to add to that, I think what was difficult for me and probably many others was that you want to find something that feels authentic. You know, there's so much noise on the internet. Right. And I think not only quality, but something that was authentic and also something that made sense given that I am a mom now and I want something that gives me freedom at the same time uh, allows me to take my business to a new level. And you, Chris, coming back to speaking of freedom and business and um, the finding that intersection, um, it seems like everything that you do, everything you hit is a home run, whether it's Virtual Staff Finder, which is your uh, your, your Virtual Staff Finder. Well, it's a sort of self-explanatory Virtual Staff Finder. It's a <laughs> virtual assistant. It's a VA matchmaking company. Yeah, That's literally ma- what it is. Match.com right? for VAs. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's growing without into, the romance. <laughs> well, you never know. I just want to. I don't want anybody <laughs> signing up with the wrong with the wrong purpose in mind, right? <laughs> Look, it, if that happens, it's like icing on the cake. Um, there you go. <laughs> that uh, I have to tell you, it's grown massively. Three hundred employees, two different verticals. You throughout that has have built your own personal brand, speaking, coaching. You have a wonderful book. A a very popular book, Virtual Freedom, How to Work with Virtual Staff to Buy More Time, Become More Productive, and Build Your Dream Business. Yes, I want that. You are a podcast host, producer, the new business podcast, 
home run again. And more recently with Pat Flynn, you're co-hosting One Day Business Breakthrough, which I'm a little jealous. It keeps getting new and noteworthy, like number one and number two every day. I'm like, <laughs> what's well, left for the rest that. of it, us? It, it, no. it, it won't last. It won't last forever. You know, the new and noteworthy okay. period is is roughly between eight to 12 weeks. But, you know, you should as as a new podcast, you should look at doing certain things that you you know that you can put in the place within that period of time to sort of try and make the most out of that new and noteworthy uh time window that you have but yeah i'm sorry i'm sorry if we keep upsetting you <laughs> no no i'm being i'm jo- totally joking it's nice to see a friend Blame up there and yeah, well, what would you recommend i do in the next you know four to six weeks until my time expires well, you know, what you really need to focus in on is getting people to not just come along and listen to one episode, but you need to get them to come along, listen to an episode and hit that subscribe button. The right. subscribe button is important because when they hit that, they download every episode that you've done automatically plus every episode that you publish going forward automatically. So those download numbers are obviously enjoyed a lot by your rankings on iTunes, right? Mm -hmm. The other thing, however, and a lot of people don't focus on this and they really should focus on it. Think about launching a book on Amazon. You want those book reviews, right? Like that's real important on Amazon in the way that their algorithms work uh, from a ranking perspective. And iTunes is exactly the same. You need to get as many ratings and reviews as possible on your iTunes podcast too to continue to rank highly, not only in the noteworthy, but then once you... Once you do actually drop out of that new and noteworthy area, which, like I say, is anything between 8 to 14 weeks or so after, they don't actually tell you exactly what it is. Some some shows actually last a little longer than that even, but it's around that 8 to 12-week period. But once you drop out, you can then obviously stay in the what's hot section and things like that. There's a lot of different ways to do it. So the reviews are really important as well. And I have one rule of thumb with book reviews, with any kind of reviews, podcast reviews, you name it. And that is, if you don't ask, you don't get. Right. People don't feel obligated to review your podcast just because they downloaded and enjoyed it. They don't feel obligated to do it. You have to ask them to do it. Give them a reason almost to do it. You know, so, I mean, every week, for example, on the One Day Business Breakthrough Show, Pat and I read out a review and then we send that person a limited edition One Day Business Breakthrough T-shirt. So now we've got all these people tweeting photos of themselves with the T-shirts on, giving us even more social evergreen love ongoing as well. Um, But we've also got almost 250 reviews in just over a month. Very, so it's yeah, and that's just the U.S. store. I mean, worldwide, I don't know what what our number is, but you know, iTunes is really about the the U.S. store at the end of the day. Well, I can make so many (laughs) T-shirts. It's happening. There you go. I think you should. Yeah. I think you should. So and, and I want one. All right. I want one to turn up on All right. the doorstep. All I'm right. Start working on that. Well, what's your common denominator, Chris? <laughs> like I said, everything you hit is a home run. What's the magic? What's the method that you bring to each and every one of your projects to ensure success? What's the secret Chris Ducker sauce? Well, I mean, I must say I haven't been successful on every single project I've worked on. I have had a few failures. Um, some of them have cost me a little more time and money than others but i think across the board when it does hit when it does work what it really comes down to is focusing on that one thing and not letting anything else get in in front of that or 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 cloud the judgment calls that need to be made when it comes to building out that project i think one one thing that entrepreneurs struggle with the most is that shiny object syndrome where they have an idea a minute 
and and they want to act on all those ideas because they're all going to make us a million dollars, right? So it, you know, it, it it's a problem, and I think entrepreneurs struggle with it a lot more than they actually admit they do. And I just made the decision many years ago that if I, you know, if I had a project idea and I validated that idea, whether it be through a pre-launch or through talking with, you know, respected peers or whatever the case may be, that if I had that that inkling that this was worth pursuing, that I would ultimately put everything else on the hold for that period of time. Uh, and that's what I've done. And, I, and I, I should say also that once you do that and you see it moving well, you can't continue to allow yourself to be sucked into that. That's when delegation comes into play, which is my biggest passion. And that is being able to really bring other people into the fray there and, and get them to ultimately run the business entity or the project or the service or whatever it is um, for you so that you can continue to look at the bigger picture and then obviously go on to the next project as well. I mean, I am a serial entrepreneur. If I work on any one thing for any longer than six months, I start to get the shakes. You know mm. what I mean? I've got to got to move on. And so I'm all about, you know, the startup, getting things moving, proving that something is working. And once I see that it is working, we put processes and systems in place. We bring the people on board and they continue to run with the baton whilst I go off and, you know, gallivant around the world speaking and all that sort of stuff. How do you know when you're ready to outsource? How do you know when you're ready to go to Virtual Staff Finder? And, and not just in terms of, is it worth it? Is it worth my time? Will this grow my business? But really, from the standpoint of, can I afford this? I think mm-hmm. that's, a, that's the hardest uh, thing for entrepreneurs to come to terms with. Like, I really, I'm not sure if this is worth my investment. Well, I think, you know, most entrepreneurs will come to a fork in the road at some point, a crossroads. And on one side, it'll it'll be screaming, continue doing what you're doing, Chris. And that's everything, right? Yourself. I, in virtual freedom, I call this superhero syndrome where we believe that we're the most – you know, strongest, most important thing in our universe and that nothing or nobody can ever do anything to harm us. And that's complete BS. We know that that's truly not the case. And so, you know, you can either carry on on that path and doing everything yourself and ultimately end up burning out and becoming no good to anybody for anything. Or you can go in the other direction and that is accept overwhelm when you feel it and you will feel it physically, mentally, you know, spiritually even, you know, you'll be challenged. And once you feel that overwhelm kick in, that is the alarm bell that you need to listen to as it's chiming away in the back of your head to make sure that you put in place, you know, certain steps and certain procedures and certain processes to start removing yourself from the business slowly but surely. A lot of people get stunted on the idea of outsourcing and and they don't pull the trigger because they think it's going to be expensive or they think it's going to take a lot of their time up to train a virtual worker to be able to do certain things. Um, And neither of those things are are, are really all that correct, to be honest with you. I mean, yes, you do have to invest some time and yes, you do need to invest some money, but it's way less than what a lot of people think it is in both regards. And I think that once you do start you know, 
flirting with outsourcing. And you can do that through, you know, these job posting sites like Odesk or Elance or something like that, where you just post the odd task up there. I need a logo design. I need some podcast artwork put together or a 45 minute, you know, audio transcribed into a 5,000 word Kindle book for me. And, you know, all these sort of things. And these are one-off tasks. And once you've done that and you've paid for them and you've moved on, you can see that you wouldn't have got that done within that space of time at that level if you were to try to do it yourself, probably, because you've got a lot more other things going on as well. Do you map your career out in terms of trajectory? Like in a year, I want to be doing this, or in three years, I want to be here. How strategic are you when it comes to, you know, as you say, you're a serial entrepreneur, you get bored very quickly. Do you have a, a method to that madness? I love that term because um, it is madness. It's utter madness. Um, I I I map out. I kind of I have a, a more of a long term view in terms of where I want to say. I've I've always said that I ultimately want to completely switch off and retire by the time I'm fifty. Now, when I say retire, I mean retire from ultimately working. Okay, but that doesn't mean that I retire from business. That just means that I'm the owner of those businesses or the investor in those businesses and other people are doing all the work for me. Um, but ultimately what I said a long, long time ago to myself is when I'm 50, I don't want to have to, you know, check email every day. I don't want to have to worry about meetings on a weekly basis and things like that. And ultimately just sort of, you know, have fun with the family and roll around on cruises with the wife and things like that. So, I mean, the big, you know, the bigger picture is by the time I'm 50, I want to be completely done with business ultimately um, and just really switch off and enjoy but that being said you know you've got to get to that point financially and you know reward wise to, to be able to enjoy that so you know yearly yes we definitely have goals in place on a yearly basis they are both um, project-based goals uh, as well as financial goals for the business too um, I believe as a business owner our number one focus should always be on growth and growing our businesses and growing our uh, uh, our you know effect on the people that we're working with and so you know yeah probably I, I don't think I really plan any further out than year by year every now and then that might change but it's very very rare well, you brought up the word financials, and this is a financial show, but a, a you know a light spirited one. And so, I'd love right, to transition right. now. To, there's no meet the press questions here. It's very uh, okay. softball, <laughs> but yet also insightful. I'm, buck like I'm buckling talk. myself in right now. <laughs> <laughs> Let your hair down, Chris. Uh, <laughs> what is it, Chris Ducker's financial philosophy? Let's let's go to our so money questions. What is your money mantra that guides you through life, through business, and uh, yeah, share that with us. I'd love to hear it. Well, I don't like debt. Funnily enough, like most people, um, and you know, I've I've been in debt a couple of times in my life. I'm happy to say I haven't been there for probably about 10 years now. But, you know, when I was in debt, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a health, you know, it's just not healthy. It's stressful. It, it, it's always in the back of your mind all the time. And so my, when it comes to expanding my businesses and coming up with new project ideas and all the rest of it, we, we do all of that from profit. So I never take a bank loan. I never, you know, um, loan money to buy anything, quite frankly. I mean, I use a credit card for purchasing literally everything from groceries to plane tickets. 
got to love those miles. Um, and but I pay that card off in full every month. So I, you know, my my philosophy really, when it you know, the overall look of money for me personally is just to not really get into debt. It, it's not to. It's not to be a negative thing. You know, I, I remember my dad years and years and years saying to me that money was not something that I should worry about. It's something that I should enjoy using. Mm-hmm. And I've never forgotten that. And so, uh, you know, I'm not an you know, extravagant spender or anything like that. But um, I like to, you know, I like to think that I've worked hard to, to, to be where I am financially. And because of that, I, I get the opportunity to enjoy you know, things that I want to enjoy and, and not really have to worry about it all that much. You mentioned your dad. I'd love to hear more about your upbringing and your financial perspectives as a child. What's your biggest money memory growing up? Pocket money. Uh, in, in America, you guys call it the allowance, right? Right, yes. Um, so we call it pocket money, or we did. I think I think the UK's probably adopted that allowance thing now. Hollywood has had quite an impact. <laughs> <laughs> on England, but um, no, pocket money. That was my first real, um, my first real kind of memory of of money and managing money. And I remember, I can't remember exactly how much I got, but I think I was probably like you know eight or nine years old, and I probably got a couple of pounds a week or something like that back in, back in England. So only a few dollars, but um, I remember my little brother, who was a few years younger than me, he would go out and blow his pocket money every week, every Saturday. He'd go out and buy, you know, magazines or chocolate bars or, you know, this, that, and the other. And I would save all mine up so I could then, you know, go out and buy, you know, like a, a video game a month, you know, or two later or something along those lines, you know, go down to the market and pick up, uh, God, this this showing my age now, the ZX Spectrum 81 games <laughs> on cassette. Uh, good gosh, we're talking very early 80s here. So, um, yeah, no, that, honestly, that my, my first memory is really just the pocket money and, and getting the money given to me by my dad every week and sticking it in a, in a jar and, you know, just sort of saving it up. So your brother who was spending it like a, you know, like he was very spend happy as adults. Do you see some, do you see those disparities now? Is he, is he, is he a big spender? And I, you know, and you're someone who likes to delay gratification. Mm -hmm. No, he's, he's a nightmare with money. (laughs) Uh, It's amazing, right? Yeah. He hasn't changed. He hasn't changed at all. He's, I mean, he's, you know, I'm 41, he's 38, and he's still a little brother in every sense of the word. You know, I, I still get the old phone call, hey, can you send me a couple of hundred pounds? I'll give you back next month. And I'm like, oh, my God, really? Wow. Are, we st- are we still here? You know, a couple of hundred pounds? You know, and he's a married man <laughs> oh, with kids. Uh-oh. And he's in debt, and he's having problems. I and, hope he's not uh, listening to this podcast. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't even have an email address. I mean, he's so old school, and he's he's in the uh, he's in the construction field. He manages a lot, oh, one of one of a large construction firm in London, and uh, believe it or not, does it without email. It's very some of some of that market is still very very old school. It all comes down to the ownership. But yeah, no, he's he's a headache. He, mm-hmm. He's he's a headache when it comes to money still, and. Um, you know, I and I'm I'm one of those guys. Like I said, I I don't like debt. I I don't want to worry about money. And I know you know a certain percentage of your audience listening and are probably in that camp right now. And my only advice to them would be, you know, just stop buying stuff you don't need just for the sake of it. Save the money, pay off your debts, and you'll become way way happier. 
Yes. Well, did this mantra of, you know, living life debt free, did that, does that stem from a failure perhaps that you had or, or, you know, a period of troubles? I want to transition now to talking about one of your biggest financial missteps perhaps that uh, you learned from and that you wouldn't mind sharing. I think we love to hear each other's mistakes as much of our successes, sure. let's be honest. What was what would you say is one categorically financial mistake? Well, this 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 whole thing comes down to seeing my mom and dad work themselves real hard, you know, when I was a kid. And we didn't, I, I didn't come from a, a family, quote unquote, with money, very working class. My father was an architect. My mom was an interior designer. Uh, we would go up and down. We almost lost our house at one point in the recession back in the UK years and years ago. So it was, it was a tough financial upbringing. Um, but, you know, they always worked hard and they try to stay out of debt. And I, I saw that as I grew up into my teens, I could see the struggles. And I remember saying to myself, I'm going to do everything I can to avoid that. And then what I did I got married in my early 20s and got myself into about 50,000 pounds worth of debt within a few years of doing everything from, you know, credit cards to bank loans to store cards. I mean, it was an utter nightmare. And uh, it, it was tough. I mean, to get out of that was very, very hard. It took a long, long time. We did get out of it. Um, and, uh, you know, we promised we would never go back to it ever. And I've been lucky not, not to do that. And I've since remarried and, you know, that sort of helped a little bit. And uh, even to the point where my, my, my now wife, uh, who I've known for, uh, I'd say 12 years, we've been together 10. She actually had about $500, the equivalent in Philippine peso. Uh, she had about $500 of credit card debt which I paid off before we got married because I was so <laughs> I was so <laughs> paranoid to start off a marriage in debt. So, you know, th- those those are little things that have really sort of, you know, got got me to that mindset mm-hmm. now, but yeah, I mean, you know, getting into that kind of debt that early on in your adult life is a scary situation. I'm glad that I was in a position where I could work the three jobs that I needed to for a few years to pay it all off and and get over it. Three jobs. I mean, it sounds yeah. like you did what you had to do. And yeah. what's even cooler is that you went from $50,000 in debt to later building these amazing businesses and perhaps retiring by 50. So there's hope for all of us. Yeah. Well, there's no perhaps there. I'm going to. You're going to. Ha- it's yeah, going yeah, to happen. It, I, I, I remember sitting, I was, I worked for a big publishing company in the UK in my twenties. And I was very blessed because I was in the sales department and I was working, you know, I was based on commission. Most of my money was based, my salary was based on commission, which is why I worked such long hours because, you know, I, I would be in the office at seven thirty in the morning, cold calling prospects to sell advertising. Uh, and I would still be there at eight, nine o'clock at night. You know, I had to get us out of debt. It was all down to me ultimately. So, um, but no, I, I remember sitting in, in with one of their career advisor kind of HR people and it says, you know, you know, in England, you know, we're quite sort of stiff, stiff upper lip, kind of very conservative type of bunch of people in the UK. And, and you know, I remember being asked a question, so what is your, your target retirement age? And I said 50. I think I was maybe 22 or 23 at the time. And this woman looked up at me as if I was some sort of mat, like mental case. <laughs> um, 50? You do know that most people retire at 65. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not most people. <laughs> so, <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, I, I, I remember very early on. That is going to happen, Fanoush. I can tell you that right now. I can't wait. Um, please invite me to your retirement party. I'd love to. Done. The invites in the mail. Clinkies. In 
<laughs> well, what about a success? I mean, you've had so many, and we've gone through many of your um, your entrepreneurial successes. But financially, uh, what would you say is one epic moment that uh, you're really proud of because it it illustrates hard work and and fortitude and all that good stuff. But you know, let's let's flip it and talk good times. Yeah, exactly. I like that. So um, there was a couple. I mean, I, I read Think and Grow Rich like a lot of people did, you know, as they were growing up. And I remember the part in that book where um, Napoleon Hill talks about the chief definite aim and where you should write this down and sort of, you know, this is what I want to achieve by this particular date. And in order for me to do this, I'm going to do this. And once I hit this, I'm going to do this and this to give back sort of thing. And I wrote that out probably in my late 20s. And I remember writing that I wanted to be the first ever Ducker millionaire by the time I was 40, which I achieved several years before then. But that hitting that goal was a huge accomplishment for me. Like I said, very working class family uh, in the south of London, you know, very, very working class. And to be able to get there, unfortunately, both my parents passed years ago. So they they didn't see that. They didn't get the opportunity to enjoy that uh, with me. But that was a big one. But the one that I, I enjoy talking about the most, actually, is I, I put in place a plan to buy myself my dream watch which was a Rolex Submariner and they're about six or seven thousand dollars something like that you know they go up every year right so it was about six thousand dollars or so and I said I'm going to do this the day that we hit 100 employees and so um, you know we've been growing and growing over the first year and a half or so and then one day I hired a new member of staff and my wife who continues to work with with me in in the business today when this uh, when this new hire left, my wife turned around and she said, you know, that's, um, that's hire number 100. You know, we actually have 100 employees working for us now. And I was like, are you serious? And she said, yeah. And she looked at me and said, let's go buy a watch this afternoon. <laughs> and it was, it was like getting that, that, that affirmation from my partner in business and my partner in life that it was okay to go and buy quite frankly, a stupidly expensive watch. Like it, they are overly expensive, I think, these, these, you know, these premier watches and everything, these luxury watches. But it was just something about having that watch that mm. meant the world to me. It was like a major goal and we hit it. And then to get her to tell me to go buy it was kind of like the cherry on top of the icing on top of the cake, you know? I love it. It's like saving up your pocket money to go and yeah, buy something. Yeah, kind of like that. You're delaying your gratification for a big win. I love that story. What about habits, Chris? What's a financial habit that you practice that helps to keep your your goals in check, your financial goals in check? Well, you know, this is probably one of the biggest pieces of advice that I give entrepreneurs when I, you know, work with them and coach with them is that you have got to learn how to read a P&L statement if you're running the business. If you're not looking at your profit and loss statements on a regular basis, your business is going to fail. I'm a big believer of that. And I skipped it for the first couple of years because it just gave me a nosebleed finish. Every time I looked at it, I, I mean, I'd get a mic. I was like, I don't want to do these numbers. Are we making money? Yes, boss. Okay, that'll do the job. You know what I mean? It, wow. it was brutal. But the moment I started looking at them properly and I, I actually had a sit-down one-hour meeting 
with my financial director within our company now on a week, oh, sorry, on a monthly basis, where we sit down and we actually have that PL on our 50 inch TV in our conference room and we go through it line by line by line. How much are we spending here? What can we do to cut back there? How can we increase profits here? Um, and I think that as as a habit from a business ownership perspective when it comes to money has been absolutely apparent in the way that we've continued to grow our business year after year after year after year. Uh, we're a multi-seven-figure business now, and you know we're in an extremely competitive BPO or a business process outsourcing industry here in the Philippines where turnover of staff is an average of 65% on an annual basis. We enjoy less than 8 percent every single year that we've been in business. We keep our people happy, we keep our clients happy, and we continue to grow and become more and more profitable each and every year because of all those things. But I do believe that that, that, that monthly uh, you know, that, that monthly meeting, that focus that we put on just looking simply at our P&L statement has definitely helped. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind about it. Absolutely. Just that visualization, too. I think for people on the mm-hmm. call who aren't business owners, they're, uh, but this is, I think, can apply to your personal life as well. Look at what's coming in, oh, yeah. what's going out every single yeah. month. Having that connection, um, even if you don't have solutions every month, but just knowing you know, that, that awareness is sometimes not even there to begin with. So. Yeah, and I, I and that. I should add also, we you know we also do something along those lines on on the personal side of things as well. We actually have a monthly budget in place, um, even though you know without sounding like you know I'm gloating here, you know, we could afford to go over that budget, right? But we don't. The budget is in place. This is how much we're spending each month on groceries, on bills, on going out, on entertainment, on, you know, trips with the family. This is what our monthly budget is, and we don't go over it. And so, you know, we're still we're still quite strict with the with the personal finances as well, even though we could, you know, we could become a little unstuck if we wanted to. Uh, You know, the things the only things that I really splurge on are, you know, business class travel and nice hotels. You know, when I'm on the road, if these things are not being paid for by, you know, a speaking engagement or, a, you know, maybe a client that I'm consulting with or something, if I'm, if I'm paying for this myself, that's where I splurge, where, where I, I go, you know, either business or first class or I stay at very nice hotels. I don't like to stay at cheap hotels. Um, it's just a little personal kind of luxury thing, I think. No Ramada in for Chris Ducker. <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. And they'll never sponsor this podcast. Let's, uh... <laughs> you wouldn't want them to sponsor you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. We're so, I'm such a snob. Um, uh, let's, let's, let's wrap it up here. You've been so much fun, Chris. I, I hate to say goodbye. So before I do, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to have a little bit of more, a little more fun. Let's let's go through some so money fill in the blanks. First thing that comes to your mind, finish the sentence. Don't overthink it. Uh, oh if I won the lottery tomorrow, I, I won't even say it, like I don't even know what number to present to you. But let's just say it's an, un, an obscene amount of money. The first thing I would do is a worldwide cruise with my family and friends. Do you like cruises? Cruises scare me. I'm afraid of like getting sick and then I have to get airlifted somewhere. Maybe that's just me. I think you've been a little paranoid. Don't they have like <laughs> they have full blown 
Unless you're on a remote. Apparently, Ramada you don't cruise. watch the news in the um, United States. There have been a few <laughs> epic moments on, on cruise I'm lines. sure there probably have been, yeah. But yeah, I'd like to do that. Okay. The one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is. Oh, wow. That's a goodie. Uh, anything that saves me time, anything at all that hmm. saves me time. My biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on, already you told us, you know, first class and great hotels. Yeah. What else? What's another guilty pleasure? Uh, single malt whiskey. All right. Yeah, I'll drop, I'll, I'll drop $500 on a bottle of whiskey. I won't even think twice about it. But I don't do it very often. If it's in the budget? Yes. <laughs> well, sometimes that might go over the budget. <laughs> Maybe a Christmas time thing. <laughs> When you get that, when you get that four hundredth employee, there you go. <laughs> um, one thing I wish I had known about money growing up is uh, it never goes as far as you think it's going to. Mm. Okay, when I donate money, I like to give to blank because anything to do with children. Yeah. Uh, we yeah, we help orphanages locally here in the Philippines and uh, all that sort of stuff. So anything to do with kids, kids are just they don't deserve to have any kind of you know stress or hardship. Um, I'm all about helping kids. I love kids. And I'm so money because I'm me all the time. What you see is what you get. There's no cloak and dagger act. You know, there's no clouds or smokes. It, it is me. Yeah, all the time, all the way. You know, we've hung out. Yes, yes. I, I'm very privileged to to know you, to have met you in person, to have you now on the podcast. Thank you so much, Chris Ducker. Wishing you continued success. Happy, happy new year. I can still say that. It's only February. Yeah. And uh, I'd love to have you back. Thanks so much. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. I'll come back anytime. Well, that is a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Chris, head over to chrisducker.com. And of course, you can follow him on Twitter at Chris Ducker. We've got all the links for where to find Chris at somoneypodcast.com, including Virtual Staff Finder, his business. And there, of course, you can find the transcript and comments from this episode and all previous episodes. And I want to hear from you. Please send me your questions about money, work, life, guests, the podcast, Head over to SoMoneyPodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, and every weekend, Saturday and Sundays, I reserve that time to engage with you, to read out loud your questions and give you my best honest answers. And as Chris says, you don't get what you don't ask for. So I'm kindly asking you, if you enjoy the podcast and you love what you're hearing and you wish for the podcast to continue, please spend a minute, leave a review on iTunes. It is the single most impactful way that you can support this podcast to avoid it from falling into obscurity in iTunes. Good reviews get you good placement, more organic growth. So I thank you in advance. And please let me know when you do leave a review. Email me, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com because I am starting now choosing one reviewer each week and gifting that person a free 15-minute Skype consultation, Skype Blitz with yours truly with me. So thank you for that. Thank you in advance. And I hope your day is so money. 